0: Chris
1: and Chris Talk Movies.
0: Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we're both very excited to be talking to you about four short films by Wes Anderson, brand new films available on Netflix now The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, Poison, The Swan, and The Ratcatcher, all adaptations of Rudyard Kipling stories.
1: Uh, Ro- Roald Dahl.
0: Oh, uh yeah. Raoul Dahl, sorry. you know, there's a that's really interesting mistake that I made. Um there is a Kipling esqueness to them. It's interesting because that it's a Raoul lot of Dahl. Indian uh you know stuff. Colonialism. Takes place in India. Yeah, colonialism. Yeah, 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 yeah. So interesting, so interesting. I'm not gonna redact that honest mistake.
1: Good evening, Mr. Sugar. Said the man behind the desk whose job it was to never forget a face. Henry Sugar was 41 years old, unmarried and rich. Strange. The following is what Henry read in the Little Blue Exercise book. Gentlemen, I'm a man who can see without using his eyes. He saw it. I cried. He saw that trolley. This is absolutely unbelievable. (laughs) I was flabbergasted. This is a terrific piece of information. This could change my life. An extraordinary thing happened. All at once, he sees through his own skin. Like an x-ray, only better, he sees everything. Henry was now almost certainly
0: capable of making money faster than any other person in the entire world. Interesting.
1: His name was Henry Sugar. I think people ought to know a bit about what he has done for the world.
0: Um, Do you have a synopsis for... Do you want to do them one at a time, or how do we... Yeah, I think it would be easiest.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you want to do an overview of all of them, and then and then do one at a time, or do you want to do one at a time, and then do the overview?
0: Well, maybe just, let's give a little overview. So, okay. this, um, these are listed as four separate short films they're on calling it Netflix. On,
1: they're, they're on Netflix, and they're calling it the Roald Dahl Collection. Interesting. But you can okay. watch them individually, too. They're kind of grouped together on Netflix, but... Obviously you can watch
0: them individually. Are, um they're all made by Wes Anderson. Um they entirely or almost entirely involve the same cast, right? Mm-hmm. Um they are separate short stories by Roald Dahl, um not Roger Kipling. Um I I thought immediately of The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, because to me it, it felt like, you know, a short story collection. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the tone is so Wes Anderson. Yes. And I think the um, style of writing is so consistent throughout that it really all feels of a piece to me. So it's interesting that they've grouped it as a collection without... Making it into a single film, um, my wife asked me, "Would I like it?" And I said, uh, "Do you like Wes Anderson?" She was like, "Ah, oh, can be a little precious for me, you know." And I was like, "Um, then I, you may not. Uh, this is like it made me think of of like a distilled syrup of Wes Anderson. <laughs> like it's so." If Wes Anderson gets any more Wes Anderson it'll be almost impossible to take I think it's He
1: is well I would say I I am a massive Wes Anderson fan I love almost everything that he's done um but it's, He's a genius he, and and he is his own genre very much yeah. the, and I was thinking watching this as much as we talk about some on the show and maybe people get tired of this I don't know I feel like I talk about this a lot, you know, the genericness of so much that we see now. And I think it's pretty amazing that he has been able to have a successful career, presumably not compromising at all, just doing exactly what he wants to do. And he's carved out a a niche or a niche for himself. You know, I, I mean, this is very much seems like netflix just said here's some money do whatever you want to do you know you know um yeah uh so yeah i think i i would definitely i was thinking you know when we get to our recommendations and i guess maybe i'm going to do this now but if you like wes anderson you're going to like this if you don't like wes anderson you're not going to like this
0: yes i, I think would, that's you right know,
1: and i and i i can't imagine that there are a whole lot of people that are just like eh, Wes Anderson's okay, you know what I mean. It's like you probably fall into one or one or two camps. Uh, I would imagine. I, I don't know, but but I'm uh, you know biased in that I I really really like what he does. So I mean, he's definitely, yeah. and he's one of those where it's just um, you know if he has a movie coming out, I'm going to watch it. So
0: yeah, um, I mean, and then I think the four have. There are some similarities. I would say they have different tones, quite different tones. But that's that is um, mitigated, or that that's I don't know, mitigated is the right word, but that's obscured somewhat by the style, which mm-hmm. is so consistently Wes Anderson's style. That, for example, the Swan is. Kind of a sad story, really, although on paper and how it's handled, he sort of um, puts in a happy ending, uh, enforces, imposes a happy ending on what's really quite a sad story. Um, The Rat Catcher is this kind of really interesting and upsetting in its own way portrait of a character, the Rat Catcher. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Henry Sugar's kind of a morality tale, and um, Poison is, I think, where, I, where Reb, Richard Kipling leapt out of me was the sort of um, under, the underlying criticism of racism and colonialism that I see in, in Poison, right? which is kind of a thriller with a moralistic um, moment at the end of it that kind of ends up retroactively reshaping the whole, um, story. So, I mean, I think they're quite, they're quite different efforts. They're quite different stories, but in Wes Anderson's hands, it's certainly the style is constant throughout the use of the same cast throughout makes them all feel like, Oh, they're just for, you know, kind of the same things. And they're, I mean, in the 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 content is is different enough in each that um i think it's worth talking about each one of them individually so do you want to do you want to pick one to start with did you have a favorite
1: yeah my favorite was the uh the wonderful is it the wonderful story of henry sugar let me let me find it here uh and i will give the synopsis for it yeah the wonderful story of of henry sugar and this one stars benedict cumberbatch ray fines ben kingsley dev patel richard i I never know how to pronounce his name i uh and rupert friend and the synopsis is a rich man learns about a guru who can see without using his eyes he sets out to master the skill in order to cheat at gambling so I I I don't know how you felt. I liked this one the best. The one thing that mm-hmm. I want I did want to say when you said these are very Wes Anderson, they are very Wes Anderson, but they're also and I this definitely I imagine comes from the source material. They're a, they're darker than than Wes Anderson's films tend to be and they're not necessarily funny. It typically in a Wes Anderson movie I find myself laughing out loud a lot and I didn't really, there's some little jokes here and there, but they're not, especially, you know, we'll get into but like the one, the swan is, 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 and the rat ratcatcher, rat catcher are both pretty dark. This one was a little lighter, but it's not necessarily, you know, hilarious or anything. So what did you think of this one?
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. Dark is and I think that's partly where in my memory Rudyard Kipling stuff deals with some of the same themes we see in these and they 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 have um a sharper edge. They have kind mm. of sharper teeth. Um even the ones that talk about childhood and and uh, they're framed as children's stories, but they really have adult themes underneath them in of Roald Dahl's work I'm more familiar with the stuff that I, I read to my kids. So certainly Matilda I mean certainly there's a darkness to the, to his stories but in my mind what I remember is the film and screen adaptations of the Roald Dahl stuff which tends to um it tends to take the curse off of some of the darkness you know mm-hmm. um Anyway, uh, yeah, I I think that was the most accessible one, and that's the one that has always floated to the top of my queue in Netflix. I think because there's a redemptive arc to the character. First of all, these are brand new things. We do spoil the stuff we talk about, so if you're new to the podcast and you don't want to hear how these stories end and unfold, then maybe you shouldn't listen to this before you watch them. But... Um, having said that, so it's Benedict Cumberbatch's character is kind of a, I mean, mean—is sort of a con man. And, um, he's all about trying to make a quick buck and, and kind of beat the system. And he comes across this story of a guy who has sort of learned to meditate so intensely that he's able to sort of see without the use of his eyes. So, for example, what really catches Henry Sugar's attention is his ability to sort of read the other side of a card as a test of that. Um, Because he's like, oh, if I could learn how to do that, if that's possible, then I could make a killing at casinos, right? I can cheat. And he throws himself into it and he teaches himself how to do it. And then he goes to a casino and sure enough, Makes off with like thirty thousand pounds or something like that. Hey, you know, I mean, it's interesting to watch him learn. Oh, I can't win too much too fast, or I made my first mistake because I drew attention to myself. Right, I mustn't do that. But what he what he realizes shortly thereafter is that the the process of this kind of focus and meditation is he realizes he doesn't really want the riches anymore. And he ends up doing something really redemptive with his newfound skill. Um, And I think that it's the most feel good of all four of them. And I think that's probably why I enjoyed it the most. Yeah, I would say the same. And with Um, all
1: of these, and as you would expect with Wes Anderson uh, films or short films, is the... The production design is just amazing. It just I wonder how much time the the planning, you know, goes and at at times and, and, and all of his films, you know, feel this way to a degree, but it's you know, it's almost you're like like you're watching a play because you know, sets are moving in and out, and he's even to the point where, you know, there are essentially like the stage hands moving people around and bringing in objects for them and things, yep. you know, throughout uh, it's, it, I mean, it's really, it's really neat to watch, but that's the and
0: characters, uh, characters pause and break the fourth wall routinely. So, you know, one character will be speaking to another character and they'll say something, you know, somewhat remarkable. And then he'll turn and look out. it as if to say, did you get that? And then they'll go back into the scene, right? Or because it's, I think that the script sticks very, very closely to the original text, it'll be like, you know, I haven't the faintest idea, Mr. Carmichael said. And then Mr. Carmichael, who's been standing there looking at the camera the whole time says, I haven't the faintest idea, (laughs) you know, so it's. It's, it is very stage like, but as though it's a play that a bunch of kids are putting on for their parents. And the, and the difference between a bunch of kids putting on a play for their parents and this is that you, you couldn't be more right about the specificity and the precision of every tiny piece. Nothing is arbitrary here. Every set is like, I want to say a diorama but it's more like a Fabergé egg mm-hmm. not yeah, in great... it's not in in the baroqueness of the detail but in the care with which every tiny aspect like you could pause each set and just examine the room and get pleasure from the choice of color the way it's lit the proportions where things are located in the room, it, it is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. It's a, all four of these are gorgeous. They're absolutely gorgeous. And with the lighting, you know, there will be times where
1: when he wants to emphasize something, you know, it's a... I don't know what the terms are in uh plays, but, you know, they'll have a light directly on a character and everything else is dark around them. Yeah. The one thing that I would say about these movies that were a little bit, or these short films, that was a little bit off putting for me is throughout them, as you said, um, characters are narrating and it's, you know, I assume much of it is, is just directly from the text where it's just like they're reading the you know as if you're reading a story and and I think that creates a distance between you as the audience and what's happening to where there's not a lot of emotion with it you know does that does that make sense because yeah. his his movies for as precious as they are as you've said and as you know intricately crafted and all that and the and the people are almost like you know the the characters themselves are almost like dolls or set pieces or something his movies can have real emotion in them um you know you i think of especially like his earlier films like rushmore and bottle rocket and you know there there can you know they're funny but there can be real emotion in them whereas this there's i think that that narration creates a real gap between you and and the uh the film itself i don't know if you felt that way or not but
0: I interpreted it as Wes Anderson really trying to showcase and highlight and honor the source material. Mm-hmm. You know, to really um, to really accentuate how evocative and powerful the writer is.
1: Yeah, the writing's you great. Know? I mean, I don't want to be critical of that, but...
0: So, and I think in a lot of times in great film, the emphasis is on telling the story through the image. And, of course, the acting is a big part of it. But you find yourself, you know, if you find yourself thinking about the writing, most films would consider that kind of a failure. Show right? don't why tell, the, right? Exactly. as the audience imagining the words on the page here, they should be caught up in the story. And, and I he's think doing quite the opposite. It, that's that's my interpretation of yeah. it. Is that he very much is like, look, I'm going to show you how I imagine when I read these stories, how I imagine them in my mind, mm-hmm. and that is wonderful. But yeah. I don't think he ever wants us to forget that we're basically being told slash shown a roll doll story. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is a wonderful story that I think is just absolutely amazing, and I want to, you know read it to you now but you'll get to sort of see what's in my mind right my imagination as i read it to you right so it's an interesting you know the idea of sitting down at your child's bedside and reading them a bedtime story you're imagining it as you read it the child is imagining it as they listen to it and in this case it's wes henderson is the reader who has made a film of it so Mm -hmm. he's He's showing you it's in his, his imagination, but I think he's also trying to it's it's a it's an interesting hat trick he's trying to pull off there, right? Because when you're when when you're reading a story or you're having a story read to you, your imagination is the visual engine. And here he has control of the visual engine. Right. And yet he's trying to maintain the storytelling. Um, architecture to it so I mean I think it's successful it took me a little while to get into it Mm -hmm. but once I got into it I was along for the ride yeah yeah for sure you know what order in my way after about the first 10 minutes
1: what order did you watch them in? do you remember because I watched this one last and I kind of feel like I should have watched it first
0: I watched Henry Sugar first and then I think I watched The Rat Catcher, and then I watched Poison. Or maybe it was Poison and then The Rat Catcher. No, I think I watched The Rat Catcher second, and then Poison, and then Swan.
1: Okay. So I watched Poison first. Um, the, so I watched this over... I didn't watch them all at once. It was over a period, basically over a period of the weekend. And so I, I looked at the, the the first evening. I didn't have a lot of time. So... These are, I think, two or 17 minutes and two or 39 minutes, I believe. Uh, or maybe They're, three or 17 yeah. and one's 39. But uh, yeah. so I just looked at the times because I was sort of short on time. And I started with Poison. And then I watched The Swan, then The Rat Catcher, and then uh, Henry Sugar was the last one. So, Gotcha. Um, I mean, I don't know that it makes a big difference if you watch them in, in uh different order but you have um, you have multiple narrators in these and you have uh, Ray fines as a narrator and since I didn't watch the the Henry sugar one until the last it kind of explains where he comes into into play um, uh, he's in I guess Ray fines is in two of them but so anyway but I don't think it makes too much difference what order you watch him in
0: he actually pops up in Swan Near yeah. the end, as well as the sort of narrator from as the author/slash narrator in uh Henry Swan, but I didn't see, I don't think he was in. Oh, he's no, I don't think he's in, think Poison. He's just in the two. It, Poison, yeah, Poison is just a three-hander, really. Mm-hmm. It's Dev Patel and uh, um, Cumberbatch and
1: um, and Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Do you want to go into that one next, since you started talking about it, or is there more sure. that you want
0: to say about uh, no, Henry Sugar? No, we can talk about. I mean, I think that um, Poison was really exciting. It's a, it's, it's a thriller. In, in it, the, the fun thing about it is, it's a man. A friend comes in and finds his his friend awake, but lying sort of stock still on the bed, and he's whispering. He's sh- it's not moving. It, it basically. And this is has learned.
1: been Benedict Cumberbatch again. As yes, well. is on and the bed. He is,
0: well, he's Harry Sugar too in this one. Well, he's that. That's not Harry Sugar, is it? The character isn't.
1: It? His his name's Harry in the. Uh, he's listed as Harry on no Rotten Tomatoes. So I, I, yeah, I think he's supposed together. to be. Yeah. I think he's supposed to be Harry Sugar in that one.
0: Too. Well, what we find out is that a a small but very deadly snake has crawled onto under his pajamas, under his pajama shirt, and he's trying to hold still because he doesn't want to get bitten by the snake. And so Dev Patel, his friend, runs and gets the doctor.
1: Ben Kingsley.
0: Yes, whatever he can to save his life, which he does, and at the end they can't find the snake so they give him a serum shot that's supposed to help keep him alive if the snake does bite him and then they pour ether sort of under the covers to try and euthanize or at least um conk out the snake and they go into like oh it's, it's not a sure thing because cold-blooded you know anesthetics don't work as well on cold-blooded animals and uh, then they then they sort of, once they feel like they've done the best they can, they peel back the sheet, and there's all these nail-biting descriptions of how bathed in sweat, you know, the subject is and how, you know, on edge he has been this whole time. And, um, they can't find the snake. The snake doesn't seem to be there. It's certainly not under the pajamas where they were expecting to find it. Mm-hmm. And the doctor makes out of so is the the story describes sort of in relief and sort of half joking the doctor says something well perhaps you imagined it, and Cumberbatch's character kind of loses it on him and and, and has in sort of a racist rant, mm-hmm. and then the Dev Patel character follows the um the doctor out to the car apologizing for his friend. And the last two lines of the story is Dev Patel saying, I'm sorry. And the doctor saying, you can't be. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the story. And I think that more than anything else really made me confuse it for Kipling. It because was, yeah. There's just so much of that kind of racism and anti-racism built into Kipling, which is complicated because there's so much colonialism mentality baked into Kipling too. Um, anyway, uh, it was funny cause I thought it was a gripping story that had that little bitter twist at the end that kind of didn't rewrite the whole story, but made it about something that I hadn't thought it was about. What did you think?
1: Well, and yeah, and also I thought this one in, until you get to that, uh ending, I thought this one was the funniest of the four, um, You know, because it's all the description of them going back and forth and the the steps they go through to try to neutralize the snake is is all pretty funny. Um, But yeah, I uh, and they there are little sort of postscripts at the end of each of these stories that says, you know, when Roald Dahl uh, wrote them. And um, this one, he was was he in the military uh, in in India? This was some time when he was in India, so. um, I don't know. So I guess, you know, I don't know that much about their histories or anything, but uh, similar to Rudyard Kipling, you know, time in India, you know, would have seen the, uh, would have witnessed a lot of that racism. And uh, I was curious, I never knew this with Ben Kingsley, you know, Ben Kingsley was famously played Gandhi. And you look at, I think you look at Ben Kingsley, and I think he's just a white uh, English guy, right? But he was born in England, but um, his name is not Ben Kingsley. I mean, his real name. Um, I'm going to look it up here real quick because I don't remember. It's Ken Bingsley. It's Ken Bingsley. Um, He was born uh, Krishna Pandit Banji. So he's obviously he's Indian, um, which I never, I never knew that. So I thought it was interesting. He's playing, um, he plays, you know, each of them play multiple characters, but other than at one point in the, in the, uh, Henry sugar story where he plays a blackjack dealer, uh, who I guess maybe could be Indian too. I don't know. But, uh, his other characters in this are Indian. He plays an Indian doctor and he plays the Indian guy who, um, is the who had studied with the yogi and that's actually where henry sugar learns reading the account of this guy comes up with the idea of learning to you know see through the cards but uh hmm. um but yeah i i thought this one was the was the i don't know that i thought it was the best of the stories like i said i liked the henry sugar story the best i think but it but this one was the funniest
0: i hmm. thought um i don't know how you thought but how you felt about it but um, you know, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't really find any of them all that funny. Like I say, they're not
1: laugh out loud funny.
0: I did take varying degrees of delight in them. Right? I mean, the whimsy, and whimsy is kind of the wrong word because of the obvious attention to detail and care that he has taken to craft. You know, whimsy implies a kind of. A, oh, carefree Mm we'll just kind of breeze through it and that is definitely not the impression that watching these things give you but a lightness maybe is uh they're
1: just you know again if you're tuned into that kind of
0: design and everything um and and so i didn't really find any of them funny i did the rat catcher i enjoyed enormously for uh Finds to depiction of that character such a fascinating and and that one has lots of descriptions of the rat catcher right in the film and you know in the story it's describing how he looks and how he's licking his lips and sticks his tongue out the side he has the two front rat like teeth and you know and and all the while one of the characters is saying, is describing the rat catcher while he's standing right next to Ray Fiennes as the rat catcher. So you get to look at Ray Fiennes while this person is describing it. And I think my impulse would be to try and conform like to really push what i you know the description and ray fines doesn't do that what he's doing is remarkably subtle i think for such a broad character and it makes it really creepy in a delightful way mm-hmm. i think the rat catcher is not supposed to be a menacing character but he's supposed to be an unsettling character right, right? and i think that it, that it is all of them it is the most effective because it's kind of a character portrait of a genuinely unsettling character. I mean, mm-hmm. I, he in kills the end, a rat kills a by, rat biting, by it. biting it. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's really upsetting to the other two characters, as it should be, as you would imagine it was. But um he doesn't overtly them in any way. I think what's unsettling about it is these two characters trying to get their head around, you know, what kind of a person is this you know this rat man you know um in i like again i still think i enjoyed um sugar the most because of its redemptive story and i think it it takes more time it's sort of two stories the story of the the man who he learns from his you know you that's a story within the story and that's really compellingly told with Ben Kingsley at the center of that little story. Excuse me. Um, so you kind of get to, you get a gift within a gift, and, and then you get this kind of really heartwarming feel-good ending when he turns philanthropic. Mm-hmm. Right? When, when he discovers that he is, this has been a growth process for him. Um and what he really wants to do with the rest of his life is help people, help other people. Um, but after that, I think my next favorite is the Rat Catcher because it's such a delicious, um, character. You know, exam- a portrait of this really weird character. Yeah. And Ray finds, you know, Ray finds this aging out of his leading man role. He was a leading man his whole career. And now he's doing more character stuff like this. And he's great at it. You know, Hugh Grant is another one my wife and I were talking about. The Hugh Grant was just the really good looking, you know, love interest during the most of his career. And now he's in things like Paddington too, where he's getting to play villains and weirdos. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I like him even better. Like who knew this handsome guy was such a great character actor. Uh, uh, So that would be my second favorite. And then Poison is probably my third and the swan was the swan was kind of hard to watch i found it yeah. really heartbreaking
1: we can get to that one in a minute i i think i would rank them the the exactly the same as you as well um one of the things that i think well to to talk about ray fines um like a lot of directors wes anderson <clears throat> you know will work with people over and over again and he's worked with i don't know how many times he's worked with ray fines now at this point i mean he He was in the, you know, the Grand Budapest Hotel. I don't know if this is just the second time with these that he's worked with him, but he, and I think especially with these, he finds people who are just so perfect for delivering the dialogue that he, you know, uh, either he writes or in this case was written by Roald Dahl. Um, And he just... These guys are just fun to listen to them, you know, all of them. And it's all English actors in uh, in this collection of stories. But they they just all deliver the dialogue so well. And that, that's a thing that I really loved about these. Um, so as much as, you know, the the production design is so precise, he's also so precise with who he casts to be the characters in his films and, and deliver the dialogue.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Swan. So, okay. I think what I've been really unsettling about the Swan was at the end, there's a few notes. What in what I presume are Wes Anderson's handwriting that come up as sort of credit cards on the screen. Mm-hmm. And, There's each one has a sort of a little paragraph about Roald Dahl's inspiration or how he went and how and what was went into the writing of the story. And this one said this was based on a true event that happened. And so, I mean, it's about a very bright, very intelligent, very scrawny kid who gets bullied viciously. By these two um you know bigger boys and mice it first they sort of tie him up and put him on it on the train tracks and then go up the hill and sit and watch to see if he'll be killed by the train which is absolutely barbaric and the description in the story is just visceral and harrowing of the kid trying to make himself as flat as he can the, the kid remains very calm throughout like the kid realizes there's no real uh rationalizing with these lunkheads like these are just too i don't know if you'd call them psychotic because some people are just this way or kids are just this way but they're he, there's no reasoning with them
1: they're pretty psychotic. I mean, they t- t- essentially try to murder him <laughs> yeah. more than once.
0: And then and when that doesn't kill him, they drag him down. They've been shooting birds, and they they take him into the woods. which turns out to be a bird sanctuary where they see a swan, and they shoot the swan. He tries to stop them, and then they make him go get the, the swans. Um, body and bring it back and they cut the wings off and they tie the wings on him and then they make him climb a tree and they say now you got to jump out of the tree into the water and he refuses to do it so they shoot him and they shoot him in the thigh right not because they're aiming for his thigh they're just shooting at him and they're a ways off and uh it hits him in the thigh and does he fall at that point Mm -hmm. or then it sort of cuts that's when we see the ray Finds narrator pop back in that from henry sugar and he's been established in a totally different movie right as an author but he pops in here as a narrator and he sort of says you know the world's full of different types of people and some type of people will you know not admit defeat per se but just sort of crumple up and And give up when when things get too bad. And it's nothing against them. That's just the the kind of the way they respond to certain situations. And then other types of people um, will will never yield. They'll never give up. And he says, you see these people emerge sometimes in times of war. But he said this kid discovered that he was of the latter kind and that he, you know, no matter what happened, he was going to win. And then it describes him sort of spreading his wings and flying out of the tree and flying home and and sort of collapsing when he got home and his mother saying, Oh, what's happened to you? And then there's a title card that says, you know, this was based on it was written based on a true event. And I'm like, those those kids just shot him in the tree. Mm-hmm. That's that's what happened is they, they shot him and killed him. Roll doll said, I'm the storyteller, so I'm going to Deus Ex Mackinna this and make it a story of you know of human triumph over adversity. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna cry right now. It's just <laughs> such a heartbreaking story. Yeah. The characters are so well drawn. The the victim here is is such a remarkable kid not only for his courage but for his intelligence and the clarity of seeing these two um oppressors these two bullies for what they are and getting to acceptance being like okay i'm in a tight spot but you know crying's just gonna make them you know what there's my only play here is to try and just stay calm and look for an opportunity because I'm not going to be able to reason with them. Nobody's coming to help me, you know? And then the portrait, like with the rat catcher, which is more of a broad, I mean, the rat catcher is essentially a rat man. (laughs) He's kind of
1: evolved to be part rat to, you know, uh, to stop the rats essentially.
0: Yes. And he keeps saying you have to be smarter than the rat, you have to be more clever than the rats. And that's saying something. You have to mm-hmm. be more rat than the rat. Um, These two boys there's a leader and a toady. And they are just so chillingly realistic in the way that they're drawn. You know? And I, I, I feel like we've all run into people like this in our lives who are just cretins. Yeah. And if we're lucky, they don't do lethal damage in the course of their lives. But oftentimes they do, whether it's beating a spouse to death or killing someone in a car accident or, you know, they just kind of careen Mm -hmm. through life with a semi-human sense of whether it's a lack of morals or sociopathy. I don't know. It's a different ways to label it. But the way that these two boys are drawn, their cruelty is just so bored they're just bored and the reason they they shoot birds and pick on them is they they can't they don't have them you know there's they can't think of anything better to do they're utterly uncreative all they hmm. can do is break things destroy things yeah exactly and and the more you resist or squeal then the more interesting it is to them yeah and uh <laughs> Again, it's—I've read and seen things that are much more overtly violent or brutal or what have you. But something about this story really touched my heart in a way that I found profoundly upsetting. You know, mm-hmm. and you could watch it with kids. I mean, there's no blood, and I mean, there's a little stage blood on the wings or whatever. Maybe I'm misremembering that, or he gets a little bloody nose. But you don't Not ever see bit, the bullies; yeah. they're only just. Disc- There's a narrator who's an adult who talks about it, and that he says that was me. You know, I Mm -hmm. was that boy. So in the world of the story, he's lived through it and he's fine. But at the end of the story, I had the distinct understanding that that's not how this really turned out. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was almost more upsetting than any of the rest of it to me. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's (laughs) it's unfair. It's it's spectacularly an unfair universe. And I was like, just the opposite of the Henry Sh- thing Where it's like, well, you know what? This con honors, he, he turned around and he learned turned to around, love yeah, people yeah. and he had an Ebenezer Scrooge moment, you know? And you're like, mm-hmm. yay, life is can be good. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then the Swan is kind of like, well, if you choose to believe it's that way, it can be, but otherwise it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I kept thinking. I almost wish like... I'd
1: have watched him. In the other order, I almost wished I had ended with sugar instead of ended with the swan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely leaves you on a, a higher, a higher night. But I kept thinking, you know, as it went along, that, well, at some point, the the bullies would realize, well, we've gone too far. We can't, you know, we get it. and they don't. No. Nope. Which, uh, yeah. So that's the thing with these, you know, these are, these are just stories. I don't know that these were necessarily stories that were written for, you know, I don't know if everything that he wrote was intended for children or, but you know, these seem like these were just stories for whomever, you know? Yeah. Um, But as you said, these are certainly stories that kids could read or watch these short films. But for me, one of the things that I've always liked about Wes Anderson is his, movies are uh they hold up to repeat viewings well and and some that i've you know watched initially the first time and i thought well i don't really know exactly what i think about this and then i'll watch them more and you know grow to love them but i don't i don't think the swan i would want to watch again i think one mm. time was you know as you said it was so upsetting I, I could definitely see particularly the henry sugar one watching that more than once um just because it's just, you know, kind of fun. But, but yeah, the, I don't know that he's ever, ever done anything nearly as dark as this swan story. Cause I mean, it's, it's dark.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because it's, um, you know, we do a lot of horror, um, you know, things that are visceral on screen. Cronenberg, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. And- sure. There's none of that here. It's all as though it's just these two characters and there's the little boy version of himself and the adult version of himself and the sort of people coming on and off stage, you know, handing the boy, you know, a prop and taking it back when the boy hands it back to them. And it's all presentational. But that coupled with the story itself, you know, when we started and we talked about how do you take a story and present it in this way that that while being very presentational about the i am storytelling here like i'm literally telling you a story and i'm showing you what's in my mind with it how do you make that gel into something that's not less than either making a movie out of it or just reading someone the story how do you make it something more and i think in that way this one was almost the most effective because I don't know that just reading the story to myself it, I would have put myself in it I would have been the boy I would have been an observer in the field and they don't actually take us into the field they do they have train tracks and he lies down in the train tracks to put you in the sense of like what's it like to have a steel rail on either side of you but um they don't have a train show up right he has a drawing is like a little dot and the train getting larger and, and so this one really does invite you the the viewer to use your imagination to fill in this stuff there the the bullies are never depicted I, there is a sort of a little line of birds on a string that they had shot but it doesn't you know it looks like a sort of a a big necklace you don't see that the birds are all mangled or anything it's just mm-hmm. a conceptually it was on a string like this you know and they have the wings on the boy but they don't ever have him holding the swan there's a sort of an illustration of the swan on the nest um and then there's the tree but i think it relies the most on the viewer's imagination of all four of them and somehow it was a little bit like they, they, the, the the, filmmakers, were standing on the shore while we waded out deeper and deeper into the water of our imagination. And somehow them, them having that kind of, I'm not going to show you that, I'm just going to tell you about it, made it even more impactful somehow. And I'm not sure if they were going for that on all four, if Wes Anderson was going for that on all four films or going to, for going for it in different ways or at different degrees. But in some ways, the reasons why I think that's my least favorite is also that it was the most affecting. It -hmm. was just affecting in a way that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, you talked about horror and this isn't, isn't a horror story. No, but, um, but the events
0: it describes are
1: horrifying. Right and i think he does a really great thing here with this when you think about the earlier i think about something like uh alfred hitchcock's psycho where um you know you have the famous shower scene where norman bates is you know stabbing her in the shower and at no point do you ever actually see a knife pierce her skin i mean you even see you know the knife just sort of goes past her belly or whatever also she is not you know she's obviously naked in the shower but you don't see you know there were just flashes of things but you're not actually seeing any of her you know uh, her nipples or anything like that Um, Mm -hmm. but the viewer and I'm sure at that time in the early 60s probably thought they saw her naked and they thought they saw the knife going in And, you know, if that's done today or even in the 80s or whenever or the 70s, you know, if it was done a decade later, you would have seen her nude. You would have seen the knife go in. It's also in black and white. They use chocolate syrup, you know, so uh, for the blood. Um, And he does the same kind of thing here where you don't I, I believe when when they shoot the swan. I think they showed the swan through like their, it would be like through their gun sight. I think, I think there's, you know, like a circle in the swan. I don't think you actually, you know, it's not like you actually see a bullet flying through the air and, you know, the blood flying everywhere, but you then see the boy carrying the swan and it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, the neck is limp and that's probably more impactful than if, you actually saw the swan and you know, the swan is, is uh, you know, a puppet or it's stop motion or something. Uh, So it's not like it's even a real swan, but, but I think that's almost more impactful. You know, that's, it's pretty heartbreaking. Just that short scene of you, of you see him carrying the swan and its neck, you know, just hanging
0: over. Um, So. Yeah. I think in, in, you're absolutely right, and that's a that that shower scene. We do see her staring eyes as she dies. She reaches and, out with her hand, and she pulls
1: the shower curtain, yep. and you see the rings of the mm. shower curtain rip off. Yep. You know, I mean, and it's, we
0: see the blood, the chocolate syrup, the blood swirling down the drain. Uh, and we also the sound design of that is quite chilling because we do not see the knife going in; we simply see the knife coming up and coming and, and i think they striking. stabbed watermelon or something to get that sound the ch- ch- mm-hmm. ch- of the knife going in and it, yeah. yeah i mean that's there's a reason that's a famous scene in in mm-hmm. modern cinema has it's, it's, it's incredibly effective without showing you anything to which a sensor could you know yeah nothing concrete to which could object, but it's a very, you know, it's a woman being stabbed, a nude woman being stabbed to death in the shower. I'm not, I'm showing you a really upsetting, you know, scene, but I'm not actually showing you any of that. (laughs) And I imagine audiences in 1960 or 1962,
1: whenever that was, probably just lost their minds because they'd never seen anything like that before, you know. Oh my
0: God. Yeah. And you know, the, this is a bit of a track, but um, we had talked about going back and watching some of the classic, um, you know, black and white era, even silent era stuff. I think that with movies like the Lon Chaney movies, like Frankenstein and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, when you get the creature reveal, people would faint. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you think, oh, give me a break. Go back and watch some of those scenes, and just keep your imagination open. You're like, I'm thinking of the Bride of Frankenstein when when they bring. You know, it's a campier movie, but w- when they bring her to life, you know, and she's looking around. It's great performance. They have that crazy vertical wig on her. And there's the Frankenstein's monster saying, my wife, <laughs> you know, and you want to chuckle. But then she sees him, and she screams, and your mm-hmm. blood runs cold. It's just – they're really – there's – they're classics for a reason i i we we ought to
1: go back and do some of those, yeah, for sure. did we talk about that Guillermo del Toro is making a new Frankenstein?
0: No, I don't think so. When is yeah, Guillermo up?
1: del Toro is doing a new Frankenstein with uh Mia Goth is going to be the bride um, uh who is the guy? Oscar Isaac is the monster, and mm-hmm. then um who is the British guy who was in the kind of second batch of Spider-Man movies, not the, uh, not the Tobey Maguire ones and not the ones now. Tom Holland. uh, No, no, no. The guy who was the guy in the middle. Um, Shoot. I can't think of what his name is. Uh, Uh, British
0: guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, right. I know who you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember his name either. So he yeah. is Dr. Frankenstein. Wow. So is it going to be more of a Mary Shelley kind of thing or is it going to be sort of an homage to the films?
1: I think it's probably going to be more uh Mary Shelley. I, I there's not a lot of information about it. Uh, Andrew Garfield. Yes. Uh he is the um he is Dr. Frankenstein. So, yeah, and it's going to be, you know, period in the
0: 1800s or whatever. Um, so So that's of interest. Mm. -hmm. Um, so what do you, and let's wrap this up. What do you, do you recommend these to folks?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, as I say, you know, the caveat would be, you know, if you've, I suppose if you've never seen or what, anything of Western Anderson before, uh, cause maybe there would be people, um, you know, that, uh, have never seen his movies in theaters or, um, cause some of them get released wide. I mean, most, I think have in the last, the last few movies that he's done, but, um, but you know, if you're somebody that, you know, you're not a fan of Wes Anderson, that this probably isn't going to change your mind, but, uh, um, but other than that, and I, I would say, um, you know, I don't have children and I, I'm not all that familiar with his writing. He, he wrote what James and the giant peach. And, um, did he also write, Charlie and the chocolate factory, okay yeah, yeah. I mean, so he's a very you know obviously writer know those and... stories but but beyond that, mm-hmm. I don't really know a lot of his uh a lot of his his work but uh but yeah, so these would definitely be i don't know how kids would feel about these i mean these are safe for children, but i don't I don't know that these are
0: necessarily made for kids um probably not little kids, I would think right. if they were tweens or young teens and older, they might i don't know. And it's not but yeah positive. I mean if
1: you just like i mean just as we talked about amazing production design and all of these great British actors delivering this dialogue um i you know I thought they were really i don't I don't know that I would say they are uh the best things that Wes Anderson has done um uh but again i'm i'm biased because i'm a big big fan i like just about everything that he does so yeah i would definitely recommend these and if you have netflix i mean they're right there they're they're you know they're short you don't even have to watch them all at once you know you yeah. want to watch a 17 minute or a 39 minute short yeah. you know they're right there so
0: i mean i think the other thing that makes me think of buster scruggs is that it, it's 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 it, they're holiday um, film i mean they're not about the holidays, but and nor is Buster Scruggs. But it's just like this is the right time. The days mm-hmm. are getting dark. There's just something about this time of year. A certain type of thing works, and uh,
1: everybody's wearing it, sweaters and they feel kind yeah. of cozy. And there's scenes with leaves blowing around, and
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, this is the right. This is the right release time for it. I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it more than that. But it's they're they're really i think something special huh. as i i would agree with you 100 percent. not in a wes anderson i'm like eh, this might not be your cup of tea <laughs> because it's very very west has, but... has
1: your wife watched much other stuff of of his
0: or i mean i think she's seen the big ones and mm. i think she, i mean she gets it she appreciates it but i don't Think she sits. It's not a flavor that she's like. Oh, I can't wait for another one of those. Mm-hmm. Um. So.
1: And and for me, he he's one of the kind of rare filmmakers that, you know, I I don't love all of them equally, but to me, he's. I almost think he's getting better. I because I really liked those early ones like Bottle Rocket and Rushmore, you know, and the Royal Tenenbaums, but. um the uh the Grand Budapest Hotel and the French Dispatch. Um this last one before this, the uh, Asteroid City, I think was a lot. Of, did you see it? No. It wasn't I I liked it. Um I didn't think it was quite as good as, as some of the recent ones, but uh the Grand Budapest Hotel and the French Dispatch, I loved both of those. They're hmm. both fantastic. Um
0: but uh yeah. I, I highly recommend this. So, uh, Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We're on the socials. Blah, blah, blah. Like and subscribe. Leave us a comment, a suggestion. We love it. Um, thank you for joining us yet again. Or if this is your first time, welcome um, to our humble little podcast. What um, What do you think for next time? My wife... <laughs> wants to watch Lady Bird with me which is Greta Gerwig's directorial debut and I've mm-hmm. actually not seen Lady Bird I haven't Have either would No would you I'm be not. open to doing something like that sure. we had talked about doing that fast vendor one which I would yeah, like which to which I already see. watched oh. Um yeah so well, we could bang but, that uh, out I guess Okay
1: um it's not long I mean it's I think it's right at about 2 hours so it's not it's like 8 a, minutes it's 8 minutes it's a short <laughs> film Um but, yeah, I watched it yesterday. Uh, so, yeah, but Ladybird, uh it's funny. I um, I think I was going through stuff on Amazon Prime, and I watched the trailer for that. So, yeah, I would love to see that, too. Yeah, it's so, uh,
0: Saoirse. Uh, I keep yeah, I don't, I don't forgetting know how to say her thing. name. Um, It, it, it was critically acclaimed. I don't know why I didn't get around to seeing it at that when it came out but um greta gerwig's obviously proven herself to be an accomplished director um sure so which one do you want to do next i mean we do either either way well you've already watched the other one we can we can certainly do that uh and then that was on netflix
1: yeah what's it it's called the killer
0: the killer um starring um michael Michael fassbender And probably some other people. And it's some also brand new. Mainly it's Michael Netflix. Fassbender. Yeah. We're going to check that out and talk about that next. And then somewhere, maybe after that, we're going to do Ladybird. Bird. So okay. consider watching those movies with us, folks. And we'll talk about them right here on your favorite podcast app. <laughs> um, anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? I don't think so. All right, folks. Chris and I will talk to you all next week.